Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. Hey, what's going on, everybody? How you doing today? Happy Sunday to you. Welcome back. It is Jay Scott of the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Enjoying a nice Sunday afternoon here. Getting you ready for the Jeff Pilson interview. Excited to share that with you. As uh, I was excited to talk to Jeff about the End Machine album, Phase 2, that comes out April 9th, less than two weeks off on, on Frontier Records. I've been wanting to interview Jeff for a long time. He's been one of my favorites in the rock community since I was a kid, since I watched the Unchain the Night video documentary or rockumentary that Dokken released, uh, I think after Under Lock and Key, before Back for the Attack. And just some great stuff was, you know, that was in there with him and George. And, you know, he's very underrated as a bass player, very underrated as a performer, um, as a songwriter. He's now become a producer. He's done a lot of albums over the last decade with different artists. And, of course, now he's in Foreigner. He also did the project with uh, Frontier Records called Black Swan with Robin McCauley. And Red Beach, of course, the End Machine with George Lynch, Robert Mason, and up until this album, Mick Brown, who has now retired and been replaced by his brother, Steve Brown. I'm excited for you guys to hear the album. I've heard it in its entirety. It's really, really good. Um, it's just as good or even better than the first album that they did. And, of course, this is a project that probably won't see any touring, maybe just a few minimal shows. I think they did one show at uh, Vamped in Vegas when they released the album a few years ago um, with Mick Brown on drums and Robert Mason on vocals. I don't know if that's going to happen again. Obviously, COVID restrictions have put a damper on a lot of things. So even, you know, the the one-off shows that, people may be doing or interested in doing are probably not going to happen just because logistically it's very difficult to get everybody in one place, especially if they live in different areas or if they're playing in a different area away from their residence. And of course, Jeff has Foreigner that I think is going to start touring here in the summer. George, of course, as his stuff going on, I think he's going to revisit the tour with Dokken that was canceled last year. I had tickets for that show here in St. Charles, Illinois at the Arcata Theater. Of course, that never did happen, and I think they were rescheduled, but at a different theater. I still don't know if my tickets will be honored for that, but um, we'll see. I don't know. But it's a great album, and it's a great conversation I had with Jeff. Jeff's such a, a really just... Great dude, mild-mannered, very, uh, you know, very laid back. And I think you'll get that in the uh, conversation. So I want you to enjoy it. Also here, we're closing out the month of March, which has been another great month here for the Hook Rocks podcast. We just aired the interview with Ricky Rackman on Friday, talking about the ball that aired on Gimme Metal. And I know my son and his friends were really excited about it. I'm excited about it. Ricky's excited about it. 
And I hope it continues. I know in the interview he talked about not really having a lot of expectations as to where it goes after the first episode. I'm sure that they're going to do more as a question. You know, the, the question is when and how regular they will be. I mean, I have talked about less is more and people wanting things and craving things. And we even touched on that during the episode on Friday about how people don't anticipate things anymore because you can binge watch shows. You can, even if a show has aired already, you can just, you know, watch all 12 episodes or I know Netflix drops a whole season all at once. And I think there's a lesson to be learned with the Mandalorian for those who are Star Wars fans out there. And even if you're not a Star Wars fan, the Mandalorian is on Disney plus, which is a streaming service similar to Netflix. And most streaming services like Netflix, when they drop a show, when they drop a, the episode, they do the whole season at once. So you can watch it over a whole weekend. And that's great. A lot of people like that. I even like that sometimes too, right? You know, especially if the weather's bad, if I'm not feeling good, you turn on your computer or your television or however you watch things now and you just binge watch the whole weekend. It's awesome. I, I love doing that. But there's also something to be said about the buzz that's created when you can only watch one episode per week and you have to wait until the next episode. It causes conversations with you and your friends, people at work who are watching it too. It really kind of builds the anticipation and builds that buzz to the next episode and then the third episode and the fourth episode. And you, you have something to look forward to every week when that show airs, similar to what it was like years ago. And I think you really appreciate something more when you're anticipating it more. And how that kind of translates into the ball with Ricky Rackman is, hey, you know, people are excited about this. I know people my age who are fans of Headbangers Ball are excited to see something like this again because we haven't seen it in a long time. And, of course, the youth of today who are very interested in rock music and it's building and building, something like this is just another tool in the shed, another bullet in the gun for rock and roll to keep thriving or building momentum because I think it's really happening. I know we've been saying this here on the podcast for months about how rock and roll, rock music, hard rock, heavy metal, the audience is building and the youth of today are really starting to listen to it. I think there's some really great new bands that are helping that like Dirty Honey, Greta Van Fleet, The Struts, Tyler Bryant. And I think that as time moves forward, those bands and others are really going to propel rock and roll back to where it belongs in the hearts of young kids who love the attitude, who love the message and will resonate with them and connect with them. And for people like us who are my age, you know, 45, mid 40s to 50s and maybe even a little younger, a little older, it's a chance for us to revisit and celebrate what's new in rock music. And that's really what it is. There's been some points of momentum building over the last few years, if you're really paying attention. And I always kind of start with The Dirt by Motley Crue, that biopic pick that was released on Netflix, and how it was great for people my age who grew up in that era to revisit that, but also for young people to see what it was really about. 
because what it was about back then is completely different than it is now. There's no scene. There's no lifestyle like it was back then. And whether you disagree or agree with what or how they acted, you can't argue the fact that there was some mystery, there was some mystique about that era with those rock stars and how they were larger than life and how they acted like rock stars. Because one of the things about rock music is, yes, we love the music. That's first and foremost. We love how the songs connect with us. But also when you have larger than life characters on the stage that dress like rock stars, act like rock stars, and you see them, it takes you away from reality. It takes you away into a different place. It's part of the journey. And I think a lot of young artists have the potential to do that. I think they're still building that. I think some people are already there. But I think that is really important, just as important as the music. The other things, too, that have been celebrated with rock music, I talk about the ACDC album um, you know, that was released in, in November, Power Up. Another reason to celebrate. And also, even though it was a day filled with sadness, what's happened after the passing of Eddie Van Halen is also helping rock music because it exposed young people to a great band, Van Halen, and an incredible, great artist, guitar player in Eddie Van Halen. And how many young people now have been turned on to that band and that music and Eddie's guitar playing since his death. And I'm a firm believer that out of something bad, something good always happens. And I know we were talking just a year ago, two years ago, about Billy Ellish, not even know who who Van Halen or Eddie Van Halen was. And that's partially, you know, Van Halen's fault for kind of taking an approach that maybe they didn't release a lot of music or re-releases with, you know, remastered versions and box set packages and, you know, selling their music to video games or to commercials or having their songs in movies. They didn't do a lot of that. A lot of that had to do with the health of Eddie. But even before that, Eddie, you know, Van Halen really hasn't done a lot to really keep their name afloat with young people. Whatever the reasons are, we don't really know. I'm not, I'm just speculating. It has hurt their popularity and their connection to young people. I mean, if you look at stuff like ACDC, who we just talked about, or Led Zeppelin, those bands are still relevant with the young because they keep feeding the machine. They keep feeding people with their music, with reissues, with, you know, rarities, live music, or that was never released before, whatever the case is, picture books, photo books. They keep, they keep the interest going. And I think with the passing of Eddie, that now how is it, you know, and how it's connecting now with young people being exposed to that music, I think that's part of the celebration of the rebirth of rock music. And then you've got a whole plethora of new music that's being released by new artists, new bands, artists that we all know that they're releasing music. And that really started towards maybe the mid to late summer into the fall. You talk about, you know, Tyler Bryant releasing music, The Struts, Massive Wagons from the UK, who I'm a big fan of, and others as well. I think that momentum was slowly building. And now that we're in 2021 and all these artists 
have been hanging on to music or ready release ready to release music because 2020 was such a slow year. A lot of albums were put on pause. There was still a lot of great stuff, but nowhere near what we're going to see and have been seeing here in the new year. So I think that if you're not into new rock right now, now is the perfect time because you're not going to be able to get away of, away from it at all this year. So keep that in mind when I'm posting and others are posting new music for those people that say new music sucks or new rock music sucks, it's evident that you're just not listening. You you have a refusal to listen, or you are you are refusing to listen, and it just makes me think when some people say that, when I see people say that, that you're a relic, you're 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 in the past, you're past tense, and. There's no excuse to not listen to new music, whether it's a new band or artist that we promote and others promote on Twitter or social media or a new, an artist that you know of. You know, I talk a lot about L.A. Guns. We just talked about ACDC, you know, with their new album. Everything is coming up roses and everyone's swinging for the fences this year. So... Now is the time, my, my friends. Now is the time to get into it. Start listening to the stuff that we post. We're going to be posting about The End Machine here over the next couple of weeks with their new album coming out April 9th. And just enjoy. Just enjoy the music. I can't, I can't tell you how, how excited I am to share with you the upcoming episodes in the month of April that we're going to be doing here on The Hook Rocks. It's going to be a great month, some great guests. Um... I know you'll all enjoy it. Once again, you know, we're on Pantheon Podcast, the network of music podcasts, music-related podcasts. It's a great platform. There's so much stuff to listen to, but April is going to be a great month. So enjoy the ride. Enjoy the journey. Listen to new music. Check out the End Machine album with my guest Jeff Pilson on April 9th with Frontier Records or on Frontier Records, and enjoy the conversation. I'll talk to you soon. Everybody, it is Jay Scott. Welcome to another episode of the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope you're uh, of the Rock Community Podcast, I should say. And my mind is working faster than my mouth. Uh, but I like to think that everyone's staying safe and staying healthy out there. I say the same thing before every episode. 
Hopefully we've turned a corner. Hopefully there's light at the end of the tunnel. That light keeps getting brighter. I think things are moving forward. I hope it's not too soon. As I've mentioned before, time will tell, but let's keep our fingers crossed. Let's stay positive, and hopefully soon we'll be out at uh, live rock shows and enjoying ourselves and our friends once again. Like always, we're offering an escape to you here on The Hook Rocks, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. We're talking music, music commentary, and great rock music interviews. And I'd like to welcome in my next guest, which is a treat for me being a Dokken fan since I was, gosh, 9, 10 years old. I'd like to welcome in Jeff Pilsen. What's going on, Jeff? How are you? Good morning. Fine. And I'm doing well. And I'm safe. And all good. Well, that's good, right? I mean, that's always the most important so, thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> I say so, yeah. During these times, I mean, you can't uh, you can't just you know do what you want to do these days. You gotta hope everyone's getting better, and we got to get better as a as a complete unit. I agree. Couldn't agree more. So we always ask the same first question every time we have a first time guest on the podcast, and that is the essence of the show. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh man, it was uh, Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Like like many many of my generation, I saw that and I said, "Now that is something I'd like to do." <laughs> and and you know I, there was a bit of music in the house already my mom had been a big band singer in the 1930s and uh so you know and she sang she used to sing around the house and you know she'd sing to me you know lullaby like like mothers do and uh so i i um i think i had music in me um but when i saw the beatles on ed sullivan it just changed everything it was all it was a moment of uh just maximum, you know, concentration on that whole thing. And it was, it was just amazing and had an effect on everybody. What was it for you about it? Was it the girls screaming? Was it just the four guys plugged in and, and singing? What oh, was I the... think it was all, all the above. Yeah. <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah. Of course the girls screaming affected me. I mean, I was very little, but I, you know, I'm sure that there was, uh, yeah, that was definitely part of it. <laughs> and where did it go from there? You know, you saw the Beatles and Ed Sullivan. There's the evolution of the artist. You know, what comes next is picking up an instrument. What was what was an influence yeah. for you to pick up the bass? Well, actually, and, and that actually happened several years later. Um, it was in sixth grade. Uh, I was actually walk. I was on the school grounds, and uh, a friend of mine and I, we used to walk around the, the playground and on, you know, on, at recess and whatnot. And uh, we would sing this root beer commercial that was on at the time. And I don't remember how it went. And I, I just remember it was a popular thing. And I, I think it was funny, maybe. That's why I used to go around singing it. Um, but anyway, some guys heard me and they, they came up and they said, hey, we're starting a band. Uh, you want to sing? I said, sure. And then they said, hey, we need a bass player, too. You want to play bass? I said, yeah, sure. So I had a, a paper out at the time and I picked up and, you know, for $35, I picked up a Tiesco Delroy bass, and $35 more, I picked up a uh, Gibson Skylark amp, and I was ready to go. <laughs> as you dive, or as you dove into bass playing, who were some of your earlier influences? Well, my earliest influences were like Jack Bruce, um, uh, 
I don't, uh, I, I think I started to get into Led Zeppelin and so John Paul Jones, but not, not as much as Jack Bruce. Um, I, I'll, you know, I was kind of listening to a lot of the sixties pop at the time. I do remember paying attention to, uh, my generation by the who at that point. Um, you know, I certainly couldn't play it all right away, but I remember dialing into it. So, um, at that point it was those kind of guys. Um, it was a couple years later that I, really went over the top and started getting into uh first I started getting into real heavy rock you know Deep Purple Zeppelin Sabbath um so you know Roger Glover I loved him um I've always loved I always thought Jack Bruce was just amazing um and you know Geezer was amazing so so I started getting into those guys and then I got into a uh, a, a prog phase where Chris Squire became my my very favorite guy Chris Squire yes of course um, and he, he was the real guy that was the real change because when I heard him, everything changed. I started playing with a pick. Um, I learned every yes song. I just, I, I just lived and breathed Chris Squire and yes for a couple of years there. Uh, but it was really good for me. It really got my playing off to a big head start. And I think it's been an important, uh, element of my learning ever since. As far as getting, you know, further into rock music and the playing bass, you know, then now you kind of start going into songwriting, which is kind of like the next step, right? You're taking that leap from learning music, yeah. playing music, and into writing music. Was there songs or an artist writing style that inspired you to write music? Well, again, the Beatles. Um, you know, they, I just, I lo- I've loved them from day one and have continued to, and they've always played a part in inspiring me. Uh, but then as I was songwriting, um, you know, uh, I, w- I loved a lot of the pop music at the time. I loved Todd Rundgren. Um, uh, and and I, I really started getting into the prog bands. ELP, I mean, um, Greg Lake's writing affected me a lot. Um, even the first King Crimson record. Uh, so I was inspired by all sorts of people on the spectrum as far as writing goes. When you look at your writing style now, as you've evolved through the years, do you write about personal experience? Do you write about observations? Where do you find your inspiration? Well, <clears throat> no one solitary source. I mean, I think like most writers, I do reflect on, you know, the times and I reflect on my own personal feelings, my own reactions to things. Um, you know, sometimes I try and write, you know, thinking in terms of another person's experience. Um, but I, I think, I think it always, you know, to make it from the heart, it has to be something you feel. So, um, it's generally something that, you know, like, like you say, a, a personal experience that I'm going through, that's probably the main source. But the, the beautiful thing about writing, of course, is that it can be about anything. And so sometimes it's good to kind of push your push your imagination into new areas. What I've always found interesting about the art of songwriting is how a songwriter uses his message or, or, or has the vulnerability during the songwriting process to almost act as therapy as they're reliving a moment they're reflecting on a moment. Maybe they view a moment differently. And then when that song is finished and it comes out and the fans absorb it, that song then acts as therapy or gives a voice to someone who can't figure out the words to say in a song, you know, and they use a song to do that. So it's really interesting how it really 
you know, goes from one side to the other and it has meaning on both ends. Well, that's the crux of it, I think, is that you, 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 you feel something and you're able to express it in a way that other people relate to. I mean, that's the whole, the whole key, you know, you, you little phrases and, and the best way that for that to happen is that you do really feel it in the heart. You know, that's, that's the best way. I mean, sometimes it's a little more, um, observational, um, but for me, I think the best stuff happens is when I'm just, I'm in a mood and I'm feeling it and something just kind of overtakes. And, 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 and those tend to be the moments that I think do resonate with other people the best. The new album is phase two by the end machine. It is the follow up to the debut album in 2019. One of my favorite albums from that year. And it reunites you, George, and Robert Mason. And now we have Mick Brown's brother playing on the album, too, as well. How cool is that? It's totally (laughs) cool. I I did not know Mick's brother played drums. I I did not know that until until an interview Mick did probably about a year and a half ago explaining his retirement and how he mentioned that uh, his brother played. And I didn't know the bands that he played in, but... Um, that, that was really cool. That's a that's a cool connection that you guys have with this new album with the band M Machine. Yeah, I know. I, I think it's pretty cool too. So, how did this album uh, come about? I mean, this was was this recorded during the pandemic? It was, uh, and George's parts were all done remotely. Um, I mean, George and I don't live very far from one another, but we wanted to be really safe, and you know, we we started writing the music and. The beautiful thing is we had just done a record called Heavy Hitters. And on that record, we did everything remotely. And during the course of that record, we really learned how to, like, I, there's a program where I'm able to run Georgia's studio um, from my studio. Uh, and then we would talk, we would be on Skype to communicate. But then I'd have his, essentially, it's not exactly right, but we, I had his studio on my studio screen. And um, I could run the machine and he could play. And, you know, it was it was it wasn't exactly like working in person, but it was damn close. And by the time we did end machine, we had it kind of down. So, yeah, it was all done during the pandemic. Uh, The record came about because, you know, Frontiers wanted to do another record. Um, And so we uh, we sat we started the writing process um, early in the summer. I think we finished the uh, Heavy Hitters record in June. So I would guess we started writing in about July, maybe. Um, And, you know, all all the writing sessions, the initial writing sessions were all done remotely with Robert and George and I. Um, You know, George and I had the music. And uh, then we started writing with Robert and really, really working on the songs. We really spent our time crafting the songs the best we could. Um, and it was very collaborative and, um, and then, you know, Robert did a lot of this stuff himself after we would do that. He would, you know, kind of fill in all the blanks and he did an incredible job, really focused on this. Robert's writing on this record really focused and we're really pleased with it. So, um, yeah, it just, it came about because Frontiers wanted to do it and that's fine with us. Well, the Heavy Hitters album, you know, was great. I love the, the concepts the new concepts for a lot of those songs that were on that album and it was a great segue into this end machine album phase two well thank you 
when you guys were recording this, obviously the pandemic is in the outside world. It, it was the reality, and it still is the reality. Did it affect the tone of the album and how you guys recorded? Um, yeah, of course. I mean, I don't think it could help but 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 affect the tone. Um, you know, we were we were very um, cognizant of um, having everything be. How do I want to say it? I guess we we wanted to capture what was going on without over dramatizing it. I guess, um, but you know, I think what really probably affected things more was kind of our observation of what was going on in the world around us in so many ways. Um, and you know, the pandemic was just a part of that. So I guess it couldn't help but be involved, but be part of the process. But um, I would say really just all overall observations of what was going on, including the pandemic were what really drove us. I imagine when you're putting together something like this, right. And you did the heavy hitters, as you mentioned, now you're doing the end machine and there's a lot of things that are happening, you know, not just the pandemic, but there is the election. You guys recorded this in the summer. So we had protests all around the country that last year was just a pressure cooker of everything. And right. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and when you're you're dealing with that and seeing those images on TV and having all that and you're recording music, music has to be an escape at that point, right? It has to be that that element that says, you know what, I have this at my disposal at this point and it's taking me away. Not that you're completely ignoring reality, but you're you have that ability to kind of go into something else and kind of forget about it. When you're dealing with all that and you're and you're having this as an escape, are you able to maybe have a different perspective as you're kind of navigating through all this of what's happening versus what you're recording? I, I think our perspective is the same as anybody that's watching, <laughs> you know, anybody out there. Um, uh, you know, but again, of course, then again, it depends on what information you're getting and, you know, what, what world you're seeing. So uh, that's, that's, that's a whole other can of worms. Sure. Um, I, but I think our perspective isn't as different as the outlet is different. The fact that we have music to make as an outlet, I think, well, I look at it as a gift because um, music is such a beautiful universal thing um, that the division that you see in the world, I, I feel music can be a big uniter. And, um, and I think that's kind of where we were really trying to come from, from a lot of this record, because there's actually within the band, there's a wide spectrum of views and perspectives. And um, we really, but we really wanted to focus on what unites us. And um, it really had a positive effect on us. And, and I guess you just hope that the music, that it boils over into the music and the music does the same thing with other people. You know, one of the interesting things that I've been able to observe, and especially on social media, you know, whenever I have interact with my followers, a lot of followers I have are conservative, they're liberal, they're Democrat, they're Republican, but they all like right. the same bands. They all like the same music, yeah. you know? And well, it's, there you go. Yeah. You're... you're you're speaking my language. <laughs> and it's, it, it really is. It's just like we can all get along. I mean, we all like the same music. We go to the same shows. We rock out to the same stuff. Uh, you know, why are we so divided? I, I, I just, you know, 
listening to someone else's perspective or someone else's ideas and because they disagree with you doesn't mean you can't listen to them doesn't mean that you can't do or be friends with that person i think well the cliche is out there we're more we're more we have more in common than we have more that divides us i couldn't agree more couldn't agree more and when you talk about an album that you're doing you know phase two with the end machine the follow-up to the debut album and you're recording this, you know, I've talked to some, you know, a lot of other artists too as well about how it was a nice, like you mentioned, outlet as a release to kind of get away from everything that was happening and just kind of live in a bubble, so to speak, and just focus on music. Yep. When you look at the material, and obviously you've probably been asked this question a lot of times with the first album and now with, you know, the second album, you have your commitment with Foreigner. Is there any chance that this will ever, you know, that machine will ever do a tour, a small, you know, a bunch of club dates or whatever to to get out and, and bring the music to the people? Wow, good question. Well, you know, we would love to if that could ever happen. But to be perfectly honest with you, right now, even imagining live is is kind of <laughs> still just it's just kind of coming out of the out of the fog, the idea of playing live. So um, it's kind of hard to even go there yet to even imagine the situation that would um, allow us to do that. It's just, it's just so hard to say right now. I don't even know the effect that this has had on the touring world yet. I mean, Foreigner does plan on hitting the road again at the end of May. um, And I'm hoping, and you know, things are looking positive in that direction for that to happen. Uh, but who knows where it goes from there? It's just, it's really hard to say right now. And so um, I would love to answer that question, but I simply can't. <laughs> There's just nothing to answer it with. It's going to be interesting, too, in terms of protocols and how not just for the fans they have to enter wherever the live music is being played, but also what happens backstage, what happens with, you know, loading up and taking the stuff out, building the stage, you know, putting the mics out, the interaction between the crew and the band, you know, because that all has to be considered too as well. And you know, I don't know if a lot of fans realize that that's a huge undertaking, kind of changing the way things are done and what people are used to. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the the crew and, and the production and everything is, has been a big concern of ours. That's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, Foreigner's been trying to raise money for our crew who, through no fault of their own, have been out of work for over a year. Um, and, uh, so if you can, if you can go to foreigneronline.com, take a look at some of the packages and bundles that we're selling, that's all money to try and help, uh, raise money for the crew. And we know a lot of people are having a hard time, but if you are one of the fortunate few that are able to help, if you can go to the foreigneronline.com website and, and buy something there that, uh, that benefits the crew, it would be for a great cause and we would be totally appreciative. That's awesome. That's great because a lot of those guys have been forgotten. And when, whenever there's yeah, a conversation I, about bailout packages or or these payouts and stuff like that, I know you know I've had Save Our Stages on the show too as well. What people don't realize is that when communities are not having events like concert, like theater, whatever you know, sporting events, the community around that area 
suffers, whether it's the restaurants and bars that lose revenue, whether it's the people that work there that don't have are not making money with tips. It has a domino effect. And it's not just, you know, keeping these these stages open, which is important, but it's also the community around that. And plus you talk about the road crew and the people that do all the all the hard work and the heavy lifting before a show starts. Yep. Exactly. When you think about your relationship with George, it's been, gosh, what, three decades of you guys working together. Obviously, it started in Dokken, and it continued on with other projects as well. How how are you guys able, through so many years, to maintain the relationship that you guys have? Uh, just amazing musical chemistry. I mean, we really do. I mean, we, we know each other real well. Uh, we respect one another. We love one another as people. Um, uh, and, and we, you know, we, we listen to, we love a lot of the same music. Um, and we know, we just have that inner confidence that if both of us like something, there's something really strong about it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and we just love to work together. It's just, it always has good results. Um, there's always a great feel about it. Uh, it's, it's it's just a, it is a special relationship and we don't take it for granted. You work in an industry that is very fickle. You know, it very it changes on a moment's notice. I mean, when you think back of how things started when you guys first were in Dokken to now, I mean, the landscape is somewhat the same, but a lot has changed. And sure. That does put a stress on a lot of different relationships, whether it's how you record music, how you make money in music. Has that ever been a consideration for you guys? Or you guys just maintain what you guys have, the chemistry, and evolve with the evolution of where the industry is going? Well, um, you know that that that's that's part of that, that that is a part of a challenge for us because you know both George and I are fairly open minded about things, and so when we hear new things in the industry. Um, you know, if we like it, we want to incorporate it. But we also understand that when we're working together, very oftentimes there are certain parameters that our fans aren't going to like. There's certain things they're not going to like that maybe George and I are going to like. So we do have to play that. We do have to be objective about that sometimes. Um, you know, when we're working on like something like the end machine, the end machine is a specific product. It, you know, we love it and it's our, it's the band that, you know, we love to do and everything, but we also recognize that it is, it is a, it is a product that's going to a, a targeted audience. Um, and we try and make it as inspired and fresh as we can, but we also recognize that if we took things too far in one direction or whatever, that we could lose people and we don't want to do that. I mean, that was why heavy hitters was kind of a nice release for us because we got to do a couple things that were unusual for us. And it was okay because we were covering other people's music, um, so we were we were doing uh, an interpretation. But when we're when we're doing something like the M Machine, we do have to bear in mind that the audience has, you know, a, I don't want to say a limited scope, but they have something that they want. You know, they they've decided they're going to go to Ruth Chris for dinner, so they want steak. You know what I mean? So we have to give them some steak, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But for us, the challenge is to do that in a way that's still inspiring for us and still gives us goosebumps and still makes us happy. And I think we've, we've really learned how to do that well now. 
And um, I'm very proud of the music that we come up as a result of that. You know, it's a sense of comfort. You know, a lot of fans want the artist to stay in that box, right? And not venture too well, far yeah. out of that box, which is why I agree right. with you. The Heavy Hitters album was such a pleasure to listen to because it gave me the opportunity, being fans of both you and George, to hear something different from you guys and to hear you guys go in a different direction with these different concepts, these different ideas of how a song or how you hear a song. And I felt that was very refreshing. Oh, well, thank you. That that was the goal. <laughs> I mean, when I was looking at the track listing and I see some of the songs on there, like Ordinary World, which I love the original you know, version by Duran Duran. I even love the... Uh, the uh, instrumental version by the guitar player who wrote it, and the name eludes me right now, but um, uh, oh, was, was that uh, Warren, Warren Cucurelli? Yeah, Warren Cucurelli. He played with Zappa, I think. Uh, and yeah, after, he played with, uh, he played with um, Duran Duran too. Yeah, absolutely. And he was with he was with Missing Persons for a while. Sure, back sure. in their early early days. So when I saw that, and I saw you know it's the end of the world, you know as we know it, I'm like, all right, well this is interesting. I'm already intrigued you know, by the songs that they selected. And I loved it. I mean, I, you know, it's great to hear the M machine and it's great to hear that sound that I'm familiar with being a Dokken fan and being a Lynch mob fan as well. But it's also nice to see you guys not be afraid to do something that is different because I liked it. I like when a, when an artist is trying to evolve. Well, and, and that, again, that's the, that's the delicate balance that we, that we always have to, um, you know, kind of ride. Uh, but you know what? That's part of being an artist. You know, that's, that's a big part of being an artist. I mean, and that's part, that's the part, the growing part is the part I love. Um, so yeah, you have to figure out ways of bringing that into what you do. Um, and yet you do have to be sensitive to what the audience wants. It's a very, it's a very tricky, tricky thing. My last question is about the future. And obviously there's so much unknown, but do you feel at this point compared to late last year or even the early part of this year that you kind of have a clear idea of what will happen when things open up? Um, do I have a clear idea of what will happen when things open up? Um, well, I would say I think so, but don't know for sure. <laughs> uh, but my suspicion uh, is that um, when things open up, uh, it's going to look a little... I mean, I think people are going to be dying to hear music. So I think, as even especially if they're limited capacity venues, I think venues are going to sell out and fill up very fast. Um, I hope it's all done safely. I my, my sense is we've waited this long. It will be done safely. Um, I know that the first couple shows that Foreigner's doing are in... Um, outdoor venues that specialize in, in social distancing. Um, so that's great. Um, but I, I think people are going to, I think people are going to are starving for music right now for live music. And I know I'm starving to play some. So, <laughs> so here you go. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I had a conversation with Richie Kotzen a couple weeks ago and he mentioned how the break for him was much needed and it gave him a chance to catch his breath. He said a little longer than he wanted, but it did give him more appreciation of creating music and not just be stuck in that cycle that everybody gets involved with. 
Right, right, right. Well, I, and and I I agree with him there, and I think that that's uh, that's going to be an important part of the the whole consideration. Well, Jeff, it's been a blast. Thank you very much for doing this. I do appreciate it, and uh, good luck oh, with the new pleasure, album. Yeah. My pleasure, and thank you for for doing this. This is great. All right, everybody, that's Jeff Pilson, formerly of Dokken, now a foreigner, has the new album End Machine, Phase 2 out with George Lynch on Frontier Records. Go out and get it when it comes out. I think it's out April 7th, I think I want to say. Ninth, that is what I heard. April 9th. I got my, you know, my uh, my numbers crisscrossed there. But go out and get it if it's. Uh, well, I've heard it. It's just as good, if not better, than the debut album. And uh, been absorbing it now here for a couple weeks. So go out and get it. You guys will definitely enjoy it. Well, thank you. <laughs> All right, everybody. I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We'll talk again soon. Thanks.